we spend together will benefit us, spiritually speaking. We are here to worship God, to give Him the homage that He is due. I do want to say thank you to James and Tyler and Jared and those that are working with our young folks. I had the opportunity to just listen in a little bit tonight. And these young folks are like sponges. And it's amazing how much they have learned and are learning. And we are so proud of them. And we appreciate so much the effort that goes into getting them together and to try to teach them and help them as they begin their journey in life. And so we're thankful for that. And really the future of the church is our young people, isn't it? And so we've got to lay a good foundation and hopefully and prayerfully build upon that. We are looking tonight at Psalm 1. In Psalm 1 tonight, there is really in our study a contrast between the godly and the ungodly. And what the psalmist is saying is, the godly person is blessed. Now you think about all the blessings and favors that you enjoy in this life. All of us have been showered upon with so many blessings, haven't we? Blessings that come to us in the physical realm. We are blessed emotionally, mentally, academically. But what about spiritually speaking? The spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ, in effect, make us rich, don't they? And really, if you read the book of Ephesians, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, if you are in Christ, you're a rich person. Psalm 1, we have a picture of the blessed or happy person. The blessed or happy person is an individual who is living for God. I want to begin our study tonight by, first of all, talking about the path of the godly person. And what the psalmist does is provide for us insight into the life of this blessed or happy individual. And what makes this individual blessed or happy results from the choices that he or she has made and is making in this life. We all make choices on a regular basis. Some of, the, some of the decisions and choices that we make in this life are incredibly critical to our well-being, aren't they? Now, there are some choices that we make in life that really don't amount to much. But there are decisions that we consciously make on a regular basis that are critical to our spiritual well-being. What the psalmist does is provides for us a progression of the godly person and the choices that he or she makes in this life. Now, you remember Joshua of old. He said in chapter 24, verse 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 16, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So there is this concerted effort to walk with the Lord, 
to listen to His counsel, that is, to listen to His inspired Word, to associate, that is, to be in fellowship with His people, to sit among them, and to enjoy the blessings of that fellowship. So with that in mind, I want to begin by looking at Psalm 1, verse 1. And there are some things that the psalmist says here that he consciously does to protect his spiritual life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Years ago, there was a television commercial. This is going back several years ago. And there was a famous sports personality pictured walking down the street and pausing to look inside a tavern. And so he looks inside the tavern, and as he surveys the people in that tavern, he looks back at the camera and he says, you know what, they're having fun in there. Imagine, if you would, somebody walking by a tavern. They look inside and they see people sitting in there. They seem to be having fun, enjoying life. And so they enter in and take a seat and enjoy fellowship with those people. Well, what the psalmist is saying here is we've got to be conscientious about the kind of people that we associate with and that we listen to. And so number one, the psalmist said, he is not influenced by the counsel of the ungodly. And I would take this to mean that he's not, he's not sitting at the feet of individuals who are in the world who are talking philosophically about the purpose of life and the plans for life. There are things that I can learn from people who are not members of the body of Christ. But when it comes to the purpose of life and what life is all about and my origin and my destiny, I don't need to listen to what the world says. Matter of fact, I need to filter that out, don't I? I need to listen to what God has to say. Now you remember Solomon in the long ago. Solomon placed life under a microscope. He experienced a lot of the things that this life has to offer. And Solomon talks about the purpose of life. It begins with a mindset, but it becomes a way of life, doesn't it? Solomon said, the thrust of life, fear God, keep His commandments. For this is man's all. I know what the world says. The world says, you're number one, it's all about you. The world says, if it feels good, do it. The world says, what's going to make you happy is power or pleasure or an abundance of possessions and material goods. What's going to make you happy in this life is fame and popularity. Solomon said, look, I tried all those things, and guess what? They didn't make me happy. Solomon said, all is vanity. There are folks that in this world place an emphasis on the material and transitory things of life to the exclusion of the spiritual. You remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6? 
He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. There are people in our world, they have literally hooked their wagon to the world. So all of their eggs are in one basket. And when this world passes away, guess what? There's nothing left for them on the other side. And then there's a second thought here. First, he's not influenced by the counsel of the ungodly. Secondly, he is not influenced by being connected to the ungodly. Listen again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners. Now we're talking about the people we associate with. Have you ever thought about how critical it is to your spiritual well-being to associate with the right kind of people? What Paul said nearly 2,000 years ago is still true. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. Solomon said, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. In chapter 12, he would say, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads him astray. In chapter 13, and about verse 20, he would say, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Who do you hang out with? Who do you associate with? We got a lot of young folks that make up this congregation. One of the surest ways to get yourself in trouble is you just hang around with the wrong crowd. If you're hanging around people that are drinking and smoking dope and taking other kinds of drugs, if you're hanging out with people and they're telling you it's okay to be sexually promiscuous, you need to walk away from those folks. Let me tell you what. You engage in that kind of behavior and God will burn your hide. You understand that? You let the world influence you for evil and you will pay a heavy price. We've got to be very careful about the kind of folks that we associate with. I know what the people in the world want to do. They want to drink and take drugs and sleep around and do all that kind of stuff. But listen, we are God's people, aren't we? God's people have no business drinking alcoholic beverages. Not one. God's people have no business being in a bar at night or running around with people that frequent bars or looking at pornography online or engaging in sexual relations with a girlfriend or boyfriend. If that's going on, it needs to stop. Why? Because we belong to God. Nowhere in Scripture do we, do we find authority to live like the world. We are to live counter to the world. And there are a lot of folks that have gotten themselves, they've gotten themselves in trouble because of the people that they have chosen to associate with. And could I say this? If you're not married, please do not marry a non-Christian. Marry a child of God. 
You know, Amos asked in the long ago, can two walk together except they be agreed? You want to go to heaven? You need a spouse that's going to do his or her best to get you to heaven. If you're trying to live a spiritual life and he or she's trying to live an ungodly life or a worldly life, how's that going to work out? And let me say this, there are some folks in the body of Christ, they have paid a heavy price because they married outside the Lord's church. Now look, what's done's done. You got to make the best of it. All I'm saying is it could be a lot easier. You want your kids to go to heaven? Here you are as a child of God. You're trying to lead them to Christ. Your mate's trying to lead them to the devil. Now sometimes individuals who are married to people who are outside the body of Christ and they are supportive of their faithful mate. If the kids want to go to services and if they're, particip if they're participating in activities of the Lord's church, they're happy about that. But there are some folks that fight their mate every step of the way. You need, to, you need to know that right up front. You don't need to have any illusions about what you're getting into. So, not influenced by the counsel of the ungodly, by being connected to the ungodly, and then thirdly, not influenced by the contempt of the ungodly. Listen to what he says, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The scornful are those who deride and mock and scoff at spiritual things. Did you know that I could go to any number of universities all across this country and I could sit in a classroom and I could listen to a quote-unquote professor pontificate about how this world came into being. And I could listen to them as they mock and ridicule God and everything that is right and true and holy. You don't need to be around people like that. Now I know that academically speaking, sometimes we go to a university and we have to get through certain classes. But you need to let that stuff roll off your back like water off the back of a duck. Do not listen to it. Do not drink from what they're selling because what they're selling is poison. And let me say this as well. We've got folks that are in political positions in our country. And they make a mockery of this book called the Bible. And they are anything but supportive of God and His Word and things that are holy and right and true. I don't want to associate with them, do you? Now I want to influence them for good. But there are some folks, they have already decided, this is where I'm headed. I'm not on board with that. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Righteousness will build a nation. Sin will tear it down. And for too long in this country, there have been people that have been spouting off their anti-God views, their anti-Bible views, and we paid a heavy price for it. Our nation needs to understand righteousness exalts any people, any civilization. 
Sin is detrimental and it will destroy it. So, number one, the path of the godly. It is a deliberate path. It is a chosen path. We're choosing to strive to the best of our ability to walk in the paths of righteousness. Now, number two, the pleasure of a godly person. Listen now to what the psalmist said in verse 2. First, his delight. But his delight is in the law of Jehovah, the law of the Lord. So here's somebody who finds great delight in the Word of God. How much time do you spend in God's Word? How well do you know God's Word? Did you know that this book that we call the Bible is from God and it is for our good? Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today, they misunderstand the nature of Scripture. And they have no concept that this book is intended to bless, to better our lives. The psalmist here is saying, look, my delight is in the law of Jehovah. God's Word ought to be a delight to us because, number one, it guides us in this life, does it not? You want to get to heaven? You want to be in eternity with God and Christ and the saints of old? Then you've got to follow this book. John said in Revelation chapter 22, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. God's Word is intended to guide us day in, day out. It is our modern day GPS. It will get you from earth to heaven. Now you cast it aside. You won't reach the destiny called heaven. Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The psalmist recognized that God's Word is intended for our good. Why? Because it's supposed to guide us. The psalmist said, Your Word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my pathway. The Word of God illuminates life. It informs us how to live, how to act, how to react. The Word of God is a safe guide, isn't it? The psalmist here is talking about his delight. It will not only guide us in this life, but it will guard us in this life. When Paul stood before the elders of the church from Ephesus when he was in Miletus, he told those men to take heed to themselves, to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He said, For after my departure grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He said, For from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Then he pointed out that over the course of three years, he had ceased not to warn every one of them night and day with tears. 
Now listen to this. He said, God's Word can build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified in Christ Jesus. God's Word is intended as a line of defense, isn't it? You remember the Apostle Paul talked about those who are tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine? Ask the question a moment ago, how well do you know the Bible? If we were to just pass out a test tonight, 25 questions, basic, fundamental, first principle questions, could you answer those questions, book, chapter, and verse, without your Bible? Could you tell somebody who started the church, who established the church? Could you tell someone where the church began, when the church began, who is the head of the church, how many churches are there? Could you give book, chapter, and verse answers to those questions? If somebody were to ask you, by what authority do we do these things? Could you tell them? Could you give book, chapter, and verse? Could you give book, chapter, and verse for why we worship as we do every first day of the week? Why we do not use instruments of music in our worship? Why we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? Why we give of our means? I mean, these are basic, fundamental questions. If we can't answer these questions, then we have a real problem. How much time do you spend in front of the television set every night? I want to encourage us. It might be that some of us need to turn the TV off and tune into this book. One of the real problems in the Lord's church this very hour is a lack of knowledge among members. I'll be honest, we just don't know. We have no concept of what the Bible teaches. And there's no excuse for it. None. You have the same amount of time as I have, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Somebody says, well, you're a preacher. You ought to know the Bible. Oh, you're a Christian. You ought to know the Bible. I'm a Christian. I ought to know the Bible. You see, Paul said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, we've got men in elderships all across our brotherhood that couldn't tell you the answer to the questions that I just asked a moment ago. That's a shame and a disgrace. And let me tell you what, if they can't give you book, chapter, and verse, they're not qualified to be an elder. That's it. They're not qualified. How well do you know God's Word? I think sometimes we don't take seriously study. 
we fail to understand the importance of meditating on this book. You're going to be judged by this book, and you don't know it. You don't know what it teaches. You don't know why you're a member of the body of Christ. You couldn't tell somebody why you worship as you do, and yet you're going to be judged by this book? Do you know why the church isn't growing? Because we're not teaching people. And the reason we're not teaching people is, number one, because we don't know the Bible. And sadly, number two, a lot of us don't understand people in the denominational world at large are lost. Lost. They're not my brethren. Members of denominations are not a part of the body of Christ. Do we understand that? You can't be saved outside the one church. Salvation is in Christ and it's in the church of Christ. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, salvation is in Christ. And those who have been baptized into Christ are a part of the body of Christ. And if they are faithful, they'll go to heaven. There are a lot of folks in the church of Christ. They're not going to heaven. You know why? Because they're not faithful. You may be here tonight and you've got beer in your refrigerator. Shame on you. You may be here tonight and you smoke weed. You better quit. You want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven, you better quit ungodly conduct. I'm just telling you straight out. I know what the world says. I'm not interested in what the world says. I want to know what the Word says. That's it. This is the book. So in Psalm 1, God's Word, it is from, it is from God. It is to be a guide. It is for our good. It is to guard us, and it is a guarantee. You mean to tell me if I live according to the precepts of this book, then I have a passport to heaven. That's right. That's what the Bible says. These things I've written unto you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Can I know it? Yes. Is that a guarantee? Yes. If God said it, can I claim it? Yes. Yes. So, number one, the delight of the godly person. Number two, the devotion of the godly person. The psalmist said his delights in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. First there is continuous study. That is, here's somebody who's meditating on the truth of God day in, day out, seven days a week. I asked a question a moment ago, how well do you know the Bible? How much time do you spend studying the Bible every day? How much, how much time do you, sit, do you spend sitting down looking at this book? Do you remember what Isaiah said? Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Read. Are you studying? Can you rightly divide the word of truth? If you have continuous study, ongoing study, then you ought to be able to discern between 
the various systems spoken of in Scripture. You know the difference between the patriarchal age, the Mosaic dispensation, and the Christian system. You understand that we're not going to be judged on the basis of the law of Moses, but rather by the law of Christ. You know there are 66 books in the Bible. 39 of those books are Old Testament. 27 books, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel. One Gospel penned by four inspired writers, giving us narratives about the life and ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts provides for us insight into the birth, infancy, and growth of the New Testament church. And then from Romans on, we find out how to live the Christian life, don't we? So, continuous study, and then also cherished study. He said, his, law, his delights in the law of the Lord. In His law, He meditates day and night. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law, it's my meditation all the day. To spend time in the Word of God. Thirdly, very quickly, our time's almost gone. I want you to consider the promise to the godly person. First, the position of the godly. The psalmist said, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The tree pictured here by the rivers of water lends insight into the stability and maturity of a godly person. Just like a tree that is well-nourished, well-watered, strong roots, that tree is stable, and over a period of time, that tree is mature. That's the intent of Scripture, isn't it? To stabilize us and to mature us in the faith. Wasn't it Peter who said, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby? And then, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then what about the permanence of the godly? The psalmist here speaks of their productivity. Listen to him. That brings forth its fruit in its season. Did you know that Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Are you bearing fruit for the Father? Everything that we do is to be done to whose glory? To God's glory. It's what Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul said, God is glorified where? In the church. And so, productivity and then prosperity. He said, Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. In Joshua chapter 1 and about verse 8, God said to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night to observe to do all that's written in it. He said, Then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's the goal, isn't it? To be productive and prosperous in this life. How do we do that? By living a godly life. By making a concerted effort to live and to walk in the paths of righteousness. To be like Noah of old who walked with God. Or Enoch who walked with God. That's our goal. Note verse 4 very quickly. He said, the ungodly are not so, 
but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know what he's saying? Sin is a dead end. It's a dead end life. You choose to live in sin, it's a dead end. No hope there. No hope for tomorrow. But in God, hope. You may be here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've made decisions in your life that you're not proud of. And maybe you've made decisions in your life that have created a lot of problems. There are some problems that we create in this life that sadly we just have to suffer the consequences, don't we? But the beauty of sin is that there is a prescription. It's called the blood of Christ. Jesus is the answer to the problems of life, isn't He? If you'll live for Jesus day in and day out, you know the promise is the crown of life. So what would you need to do to become a child of God? You've got, you've got to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then to repent, to turn away from a life of sin. We talked about the world and the ways of the world and people who get caught up in the world. The world is a dead-end dead end system. John said, the world passes away and the lust thereof. On the other side, that place called hell, there won't be any bars open or taverns open, no weed to smoke. There won't be anything to satisfy the craving of lust. Nothing. So to repent, to confess the name of Jesus and to be buried with Him in baptism, to know that all your sins are washed away, and then to be faithful until death. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian and your life is not what it ought to be, could I encourage you? You need to make some changes. You can't afford to leave here tonight unfaithful to His cause. What would it take for you to walk down this aisle to make things right with God? Everybody always says, never happened to me. Don't be so certain. If you're here tonight and you need to be back in fellowship with God, why not let us pray with you and for you? And God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.